And glad to have your babies joining us. <laughs> Welcome to all the babies. <clears throat> Are you ready to go, Brent? Okay. So go ahead and pull out your handouts called Radical Mothering. I'm Krista Whitney. I'm excited to be teaching you guys this morning. I'm Josh's wife. As he said, we've been married for 23 years. And I'm so thankful to be his wife and the mom of our five kids. Um, we love our little people. They are very hard, as I know your kids are really your own heart, too. God's taught me a lot as I've walked with him these last 20 years in being a mom. And I'm glad to get to share with you guys this morning and, Lord willing, encourage you as moms. I do love being a mom. As Steele said, it is the best, hardest thing that I've ever done in my whole life and the thing that I've needed the Lord more day to day in my life than anything else I've done. God has a good work for us in mothering our children, and it's only by his grace and strength and help that I'm here today or that any of us really are here where we are today with the Lord. And that same God lives in you guys. You need you guys to believe that, and he's going to help us navigate all the things he has for us as moms. So let's pray and ask God to teach us, and then we'll jump into it. God, thanks for this morning. I thank you for a chance just to speak to the women. I do pray that you would just be strong in their minds and hearts, God, that you would just really open up their ears to hear and hearts to understand your word, that it would encourage them, that we all receive your truth and faith, God, that we would believe in the power that you give us to walk with you and trust you and honor you in those, these things, God. Pray for all of our kids that you would just um, help them to be quiet and obedient and um, just give them peaceful hearts so we can be focused here and have uh, opportunities to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I do have a handout that you guys can take notes on, but I'd encourage you, don't like get caught up like scribbling and writing things down that I say because I write my talks out word for word. So if there's anything I like ask or say, you can ask me about it later and I can get it to you. So I just encourage you, just have your heart ready to hear from the Lord and don't feel like you have to write everything down. So I want to start by sharing a story with you guys. A number of years back, I met a gal. She was a neighbor of mine. We just clicked right away. We had a lot in common. I knew that we were going to be friends. She didn't have any real spiritual background, but was willing to talk about spiritual things with me. And I love this gal, and she loved me, and things were pretty good for a while. And then we went through this time where it seemed like she wasn't that interested in what I had to say. I was tempted to give up speaking truth into her life. She seemed to lack conviction of sin. But God helped me persevere through some difficult times in my life with this neighbor of mine. I prayed that God would really give me strength and help me to be in faith. And that he'd convict her of sin and really draw her to himself. And over the course of a couple years, God really softened her heart. She started asking more questions about spiritual things. She gained a greater understanding of sin and salvation. And then a mutual friend of ours became a Christian, and it got her really interested in it even more. And then finally, six and a half years after we met, she prayed to become a Christian with a different mutual friend of ours. And I remember this smile on her face when she told me about it. It was unforgettable. She had such joy and peace and just encouragement in what God had done in her life. And now this gal shares verses with me. She encourages me. She corrects me. She disciples other women in our church. And she's pretty honest with me about how she still struggles and needs help and wisdom and input in her life. So I've continued to help her grow in her faith. In fact, I've invested more time and energy into this gal than any other woman in my entire life. It has been at the expense of most personal pursuits and many relationships. And I wouldn't change anything about it because her name is Haley Whitney. She's my 16-year-old daughter. And so maybe at the beginning you figured out, like, this has to be a story about mothering. 
because we're talking about mothering today. Maybe you didn't know till the end. But think about your perspective when you know it's a story about mothering. When we hear a story about a woman loving another woman and reaching out to her, it feels so noble. And to know that this woman came to Christ, it's just like, wow, I want to be part of that story too. But then when you know it's about mothering, it might be heartwarming, but it's a little less cool, a little less noble, sometimes a little less inspiring because you and I know the reality of what it feels like to be a mom. And it just often doesn't feel very glorious, right? But this story about my daughter is a glorious story. There is no greater calling for my life to be a Christian, the follower of our King of Kings, and in that new identity, God has called many of us to be wives and all of us to be mothers. And that's not something to accept lightly. It's God's high calling for our life, our time, our energy, our bodies, and our hearts. And we must believe that. So this morning I want to talk about, it's called Radical Mothering, along with Josh's theme. And in my outline today, I have five truths to share with you about what God has taught me in my years of mothering. So let's get into it. Number one on your outline, radical moms love our children by being present in their lives. So I've read through the Bible a number of times, but in all of the Bible, what is the one thing that God says we as moms specifically need to be trained in? It's your first verse there. Yeah, to love your husbands and children, that's right. And the love addressed in this verse, it's not agape love. Agape love is the self-sacrificial Christ-like love. The love in this verse is phileo love. I think agape love comes naturally to us, that self-sacrificial love. But phileo love is the love of close relationship. It speaks of warm affection, enjoyment, companionship, fondness. It's a love that grows and is made real as you live life together. So God wants us to learn to phileo love our children. So if we are to phileo love our children, we must be present in their lives. And that might seem obvious to you, right? We don't believe in virtual mothering. But being present in our children's lives means that our hearts are engaged with them. Our time is given to them. We have a deep and tender interest in them. Our affections are directed toward them. Our minds are focused on them. One hindrance of this tender love, I think, is that we have more opportunity in our time to be distracted and going about from house to house, being gossip and busybodies, like 1 Timothy 5 talks about, than maybe any other generation before us. If you stay home um, or work full-time from home, you obviously have more time to be physically present with your kids. But being at home is not necessarily an indication if you're actually present in our children's lives. Most of us carry in our hands a device, right, that can take us to thousands of different homes, places to shop, things to see, and do within a matter of seconds. It can be a blessing in many, in many ways, but we need to be honest that our phones can rob us from precious time with our children. It can take our hearts out of our home, draw our affections away from them, and hinder us in our filial love of our children. One of my favorite verses, I think this one's on your handout too, it's Matthew 2.11. When the wise men come to see Jesus, they think he was probably about two at this time. But it says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And I love this verse in mothering because this is the God of the universe. All the fullness of the deity dwells in him, even as a young child. And God, who Jesus, who wrote the word, made it sure it was said not just where he was, but who he was with. He was with his mom. And if you have a small child, you know that's not a coincidence, right? When they're little, you can hardly go to the bathroom without them following you there. But God made our children to be with us, especially in those early years. 
He made them needy for us from birth on purpose. There's a need God puts in their, a child's heart to be with their mom. They want to be with you, and that is good and right. And it lays a foundation of love and trust and security in their hearts that is irreplaceable. We should not resent that. We need to embrace that. They won't always want to be with us every second of the day, right? And have us feed them and dress them and entertain them. Eventually, they do become more independent as they grow up. And when they're teenagers, they like the idea of being more independent from us. And that's good because they're becoming adults. But even as they get older, as Josh said, we boundary their lives and activities for them because we want them to be with us. In the Gospels, it said that Jesus chose 12 disciples that they would be with him. And these are our most important disciples. Jesus would send his disciples out, but they always came back to him to be with them. And we need to be with our children too. I would say to you as moms, and all those things that Josh talked about that we should be teaching and training our kids in, when they're young, we really are only gaining ground in their lives when we are with them. Otherwise, we're just holding or we're losing ground, right? And you guys know that from sending your kids to grandma's for a day, right? You guys know about losing ground in parenting. We need to be with them when they're young. That was one of the reasons that Josh and I chose to homeschool our kids in their younger years because we wanted that time with them to teach and train them in all the things that God calls us to. As they got older, God will use other people and other situations to train them. And now for our teens, if they do, you know, we let those other situations happen, but if they do spend too much time away from us in our home, their affections are really drawn away from our home. Their hearts and minds can still be given to so many other things than their family and the home that God ordained for them to be taught the ways of the Lord. So we protect our teens' time and we limit the amount of people they're with and the things that they do because we want their hearts to be in our home where we can teach and train them. So what does that practically look like for you guys to be present in your children's lives, to have your heart, your mind, affections given to him? Well, one thing I do regularly is I spend a lot of time in conversation with my children. And with five kids, I'm sure you imagine that's very limiting for my own thoughts and conversations. I often would rather sit there in silence, but I spend time talking about the next Lego build or the book they read or the conversation they had with someone. I choose to put to death my own desires and phileo love them conversationally. With the older kids, some of them would actually kind of rather sitting quietly too. But I make an effort to ask them questions and draw them into a relationship with me and that loving filet relationship. When they're young, we played a lot with them. Like Josh said, I read them a lot of books, mastered how to put together all their toys. I was the transformer expert. I could transform every transformer they had. I hand them all their puzzle pieces one by one. I want to encourage you guys. When your kids, especially I think when you're in kind of a difficult situation with them discipline-wise, this spending time together and enjoyable activities is so important because I think during that time that warm affection doesn't come very naturally, especially when you're in a tough place. So I would encourage you really invest, especially when you feel like you're in a tough place with a child, to really grow that filet love in your relationship there. With my older kids, as far as their time, I orient my schedule around their arrival from school. I make sure I'm home, freed up to hear about their days, catch up with them. I make sure I'm around when they're around, when they're not working, um, or in between activities, just so that I can be available for love and relationship or anything they might need. When I do have work to get done, I try to follow the example of Jesus, who although was often interrupted in his work, he never ever made anyone feel like an interruption and always made people feel like they were a priority in his life. 
I involve them in the work we do, like Josh talked about. As far as my phone, I always keep my sounds muted. I leave it in my room when I'm doing things like homeschool or games or conversation because I want my kids to know you are my relational priority, not the people that are talking to me on my phone. I set a timer on my Instagram, so I only have 15 minutes, so I don't spend all my time there checking on social media. I set a timer on my internet on my phone because I wanna limit what I watch, what I listen to, what I read in the world around me because I am just one woman. I do not have the capacity to handle all the needs and burdens and things going out in the world around me. There's lots of things going on in my home and in our church, so I limit my exposure to things outside my own world, knowing that I need to keep my focus, my energy, my affections, my mind, my emotional investment there in my home. I read a lot of books about mothering. I always am trying to grow in it. I've done small groups about it. I talk to my friends about mothering in constructive ways. I pray for my kids. I ask questions of godly women when I'm not sure how to love a child in a certain situation. Lots and lots of practical things we can do to love our children. And I'll tell you a story. One Halloween a number of years ago, I had a very convicting conversation with my kids. My youngest has a potentially life-threatening peanut allergy, so we don't have any peanut product, anything in our home. And so when we get Halloween candy, I sort through it all and like we give away the peanut stuff to the other trick-or-treaters or we just give it to our friends. And so somehow I had missed like a Butterfinger in someone's pile and that's my favorite candy bar. And I was like, oh, Butterfinger. And so I said to the kids, they're sitting at the table and I was like, do you think I can eat this and not contaminate McLean? And they all used to act like they had a peanut allergy too back in the day. <laughs> and they have very sensitive consciences. And so they were like, no, mom, don't eat that Butterfinger. And so I you know, threw it in the trash because I didn't want to violate their consciences. And one of them said to me later, mom, were you sad that you had to throw away that Butterfinger? And I said, oh no, I love McLean infinitely more than a Butterfinger. And I was really convicted in that moment because I thought, how many times in my life as a mom Am I trying to just hold on to my Butterfinger? Because I love my kids infinitely more than anything or anyone else on the planet besides my husband and the Lord. And yet, in my days, it's easy to want to cling to that Butterfinger. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy other things or do anything else. God has much for us to do in building his kingdom in addition to mothering. But we need to make choices to throw away our Butterfingers for the sake of our children. So what is the Butterfinger in your life that draws your heart away from being present with your kids. If something comes to mind immediately, just jot it down real quick so you can think about that and pray over that with the Lord. And then what habit do you need to put on with your kids to be more present with them and grow your filial love for them? Write that down. If something comes to mind real quick, just write that down so you can pray over that with the Lord. Let's trust God to grow in our filial love for our children by being present in their lives. And the more I have done this, the more God enlarges my heart and gives me more love for my children. All right, number two, radical love, radical moms cultivate a thankful heart. So I remember reading the Bible as a young mom. I was like, I'm going to read every verse about mothering, the whole Bible. And I read everything, and I was like, huh, I think I could use a little more than what was there. And I remember saying to God, God, like, this is such a huge part of my life. Why is there not sec some section in one of the epistles that says something like this? And now, a word for mothers of small children. I know your life, how much sleep loss you've endured, how your body has been beat up and used and will never go back to where it was, how many tears and attitudes you have to deal with each day, how many bottoms you wipe and messes you clean up over and over and over and over again. I feel your pain. I have suffered too. Hang in there. 
I mean, I wanted some greater sympathy for my life as a mom. It was hard work. And there is much sacrifice on our parts for our children. And I wanted to feel validated in my attitude of, poor me, this is really hard. But God really challenged my heart during this time. And then he, you know, I thought, if there's not some sympathy for my life with my kids in the Bible, then what does the Bible have to say about how I should think about this? And it's right on your handout. This is what God took me to. Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. God calls our children a heritage, a reward, a blessing. And when Jesus walked this planet, he said, let the children come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. He does not say, I'm so sorry you have to deal with selfish little sinners and their attitudes and needs and messes all day. No, he says, these children are of great value to me. They are a gift from me. You are blessed to have them. And I think one huge challenge for us in being thankful is that we are American women. We live in a culture that pursues self, and our self-love culture is always preaching to us. And honestly, we can get most of what we want most of the time. We might not get quite as cool of a thing as we want or quite as perfect, but honestly, as a Christian, the idolatry of self is very real for us. In marriage, I know there is a death to ourselves and a giving of ourselves to our husband, but in many ways, we can still mostly do a lot of what we want to do. Even good things like when we read our Bibles or how we spend our evenings, how often we work out, right? Where we grocery shop, where we eat out, who we hang out with. We just expect to get a lot of those things that we want. And then God gives us kids. And there's a lot of those things that we give up, right? I remember reading my Bible one day when I had just three kids and one child was being super disobedient and the other was being really emotionally needy. And I remember just being like, I just want to read my Bible. This is like a really good thing for me to want to do. And God was like, nope, you close that and you go live that Bible, Krista. (laughs) So I put it down and I engage with my children. Children are a strong wake-up call for us that our life is not our own, like 1 Corinthians 6 says. But we can continue to fight against this and still have our own agenda for our life and our time. And that will only cause resentment towards our children in our hearts. So we need to battle this idolatry of self and surrender our hearts to the work of mothering, embracing our children every day with a thankful heart as a blessing, a reward, and a gift. Instead of feeling sorry for ourselves, we need to train our hearts to be thankful. We need to refuse to grumble and complain. Psalm 100, this is on your handout. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. In those early years especially, I had to train my heart to be thankful and not let my feelings just rule me. Often in the morning, you know, when they're little, a lot of things can go badly before you even get to breakfast in the morning. So I might sit down with the kids and feel completely robbed of any thankfulness in my heart. And I would share this verse. And I would say to them, hey, who wants to enter God's gates with thanksgiving? Who wants to thank him for our day? And I would pray and thank God for each one of my children. Now that they're older, it's still a practice I walk in to choose to have a thankful heart. I may thank the Lord for them in the morning, and then, like Josh said, you show up at breakfast, and they can have some rather grumpy hearts that make me not feel very thankful anymore. Or maybe later in the day, they take way more time than I feel like I had or wanted to give them in working through a conflict. Or maybe they're just ungrateful themselves, and that sure makes me really ungrateful. 
So we need to learn to train our hearts to be thankful in the reality of our lives, okay? We need to refuse to complain that God is calling us to do the work of mothering in those moments, right? And instead, thank him for the opportunity to actually mother in those moments. Our children are a blessing, a reward, and a gift. So let's offer God the sacrifice of thanksgiving, not just when we're away from them right now, right? It's easy right now. Oh, I'm so thankful for my kids, and I have no responsibility right now, right? We need to train our hearts to be thankful for them in the moment when we don't feel like it. We do it in faith, in our real life of mothering, receiving from God all the good and the hard things that come with the actual work of mothering. Honestly, it is a perspective changer. All right, number three. Radical moms believe God and his word are all that we need. So we live in a culture that loves to have the inside scoop on everything, right? The latest knowledge, they're gifted at making us feel like we're missing out if we don't try this or buy that. And as a mom, we really want to feel like we're doing it right, right? But we often feel like we're not, and what we are doing, yeah, we're not doing exactly right. So our mother hearts are very susceptible to our culture and its marketing methods that can play in our insecurities. And I just wrote down some samples from some magazines I read way back in the day when I was a young mom. It says, how to get your kids to eat anything. Tame the tantrum. Raise an eager learner. The seven secrets to calm moms. How to soothe your baby in seconds. Got three minutes. How to get in shape. How babies learn to sleep all night. Baby bliss. How to stress less and enjoy more. And the number one secret to happy families. I would guess there's maybe one article title that you're like, ooh, I want to know that, right? As moms, we want to do it right. We know we don't know everything, and so we really try to seek it out. And I read a lot of books and magazines back in the day. Now I know we all read online, and we listen to stuff. We watch YouTube videos. We're always passing out tips and articles and things that we listen to. But we must know that all the wisdom and help and strength and encouragement we will ever need is right here in this book, God's Word. We are blessed, women as Christians. Josh shared this verse, or maybe Steele did, from 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given every, you everything you need for life and godliness. Do we believe that? And if you say you do, do we live like we believe that? By looking to God's word faithfully. There are no secrets out there that you cannot find in his word. You might find helpful tips or tricks, but wisdom is found in the pursuit of God and his word. Encouragement is found here, strength here. Women, we have to value God's word to make a choice to quiet the other voices in our life and prioritize God's word until it saturates our hearts and minds. These are some of my favorite verses on your sheet. Psalm 1 says, Blessed, or happy it means, is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That's honestly most of what we read on the internet. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, that's most of our culture, honestly, is scoffing at God. But her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law she meditates day and night. She is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that she does, she prospers. I think I changed the he to she when I read it, just so you could personally apply that to your lives. God writes that to you women specifically. So a blessed and happy woman is one that delights in God's word. He made us. He made our kids. He can give us wisdom to navigate the life that he's called us to. 
Through praying his word, God has taught me how to tame the tantrum, how to stress less and enjoy more, how to get the kids to eat anything, how to soothe the baby, how to get my baby to sleep all night, how to be a happy family. And for many of those things, there's no direct verse, which is good because, as you know, if you have more than one, the answer to those things is often different for different children. But God has taught me the key truth that he made me and my children, and he will give me wisdom to navigate the life he's given me. Through his word, he will create create the framework upon which I build all that I think and do as a mom. So how do we walk in being a blessed woman that delights in God's word? What does that look like, especially with when you're a young mom? First, I would just say, resolve to pursue God through his word every day of your life. In my early years, I was all over the board about when I would read my Bible. I'd read it while nursing a baby in the middle of the night, while doing blanket training with my kids. If you don't know what that is, I can talk about it later. I'd read it in the morning before the kids got up, in the afternoon when they napped, in the evening after they went to bed, in quieter moments at the breakfast table, in the loud moments while they would run around outside, in my bathroom sometimes, in bed before I took a nap. But God has spoken to me in all of those places and reminded me that he is the bread of life, the living water and all that I need. I used to bring my Bible with me in those early days, and I'd set it wherever I was to remind myself, Ooh, you haven't read your Bible today. When you have some free time, go pick up your Bible. I would encourage you, if you guys don't have a real Bible, get a real Bible. The phone is such a distraction. Get a real Bible and bring that real Bible with you and read from it. Now that my kids are older and I have time to give to reading and study, I've really enjoyed that extra time. I've started listening to God's word more regularly instead of putting on music or a podcast or something while I'm working in the kitchen or driving around or working out. I listen to the book of the Bible, and that has changed me. It changed what I think about, what I prioritize, what I want to pursue, how I respond to my husband and my children. I'd encourage you guys, if you're not, get involved in a small group where you guys are talking about God's word with other sisters. That gets you excited about God's word. Do a Bible plan with a friend or with your husband. That gives you some accountability in your reading. Determine to seek God through his word every day, and you will find him. That's our soul nourishment. As far as pursuing God through prayer... That's happened in all those settings and more. I think the key thing for you is just to choose to meet God and let him meet you in the midst of your daily life. Learn to quiet your heart in the midst of your days and engage with the Lord, and he will meet you there. One morning I was in the kitchen, and I watched two of my children navigate the situation really poorly, and it ended with tears for both of them. And I just was standing there watching the whole thing, and not once did they look up at me. And I said to them when it was over, guys, like, look up. Mom is right here. I was just waiting to help you. Look, why did you not look up? And God convicted me in that moment. He was like, hey, Krista, look up yourself. You go about your life and day and try to navigate so much of this on your own apart from me and my spirit. Repent of your own perceived self-sufficiency and look up to me in prayer and in dependence upon me. I am here to help you. Let's look up to God in prayer. I have a prayer app on my phone that helps me not just be distracted because my mind can very much wander whenever I'm praying, but it helps me be specific and think about the things I want to pray for my husband and my children and myself and my church and my family and my neighbors. It helps me regularly and faithfully come to the Lord and talk to him and listen to him and what he has for me. So instead of grabbing your phone when you have a little break, and I encourage you, instead of just checking out on your phone, Check in with the Lord. Check in on your heart attitude. Set your mind on things above. Orient your heart towards the Lord. 
Let's be radical moms that instead of looking to other things for rest and strength and peace, let's look to the Lord for rest and peace and strength. Let's look to his word. So what is something you can grow, you can do to grow your appetite for God's word and conversation and prayer with him? All right, number four. Radical moms honor our husband as the leader of the family, and we embrace our role as his helper. Now, I know not all of us are married, but I wanted to cover this because I want us as wives to have the proper context for applying the things that God leads us in as moms. So if you're single, I know that life looks different for you. I know that's not the road that you would have chosen, but it's the road that God has you on, and so we trust him for it. And like Josh said, we forget what lies behind, and we press on towards what's ahead. And that is the unfinished work of mothering our children to the glory of God. God is our good father who cares for us and leads us in our children. And as single moms, you get the opportunity to teach your children about your good father and impress it on them in their hearts. And we as a church are here to help you guys in that, okay? So please know that. Seek encouragement, help, counsel from us and from the pastors in our church. We want to help support you in that. So for you wives, I don't know what kind of wife you are. We can all be very different, but I'll tell you what kind of wife I'm like. I tend to think I'm the expert on most things related to home and children, not, not necessarily compared to women, but when compared to my husband. So when my oldest was a baby, I talked to a lot of other women. I read a lot. I thought a lot. I learned how to navigate things, baby, all things baby, and I'd run things by my husband like, hey, the baby did this today. Why do you think he did that? What do you think I should do? And he'd offer his thoughts, and sometimes I'd listen, and sometimes I would do the opposite of what he thought I should do. And these weren't big things. It was more like, when the baby cries like that, do you think I should put the baby down for a nap, or do you think it's too early? So the times that I would do the opposite of what he encouraged me, and he would say, did you just need an opinion to disagree with so that you could firm up your own thinking? And, you know, he made light of it, but it underscored something that can be a real sin problem, I think, with our husbands when it comes to our children. Are we empowering our husbands to be the leader of our family that God calls them to be, or are we trying to lead ourselves? Now, this Ephesians 5, I think is on your handout, says the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this is not debatable. A biblical perspective is clear that God has called our husbands to be the leader of our families, and he's called us to submit to their leadership. The scriptural basis for this is strong. If you want to talk about it more afterwards, we can. And maybe I think most of us get this overall idea, but are we living this out in our daily lives? How do we honor our husband as the head, the one who is responsible before God for our family? So when Josh is at home and he's not working, I live like Josh is in charge. If the kids ask me a question like, hey, can I play my video game turn now? I typically say, hey, ask dad. If a child gets hurt and Josh is there, I have learned to stop myself and to let him go comfort that child. If a child disobeys and Josh isn't on it right away, I might just say, hey, what do you think we should do about that? If a teen asks about some future plans or what they're allowed to do, something Josh and I have never discussed before, I'll say, hey, that's a dad question. My teens hear that all the time. That's a dad question. Now, Josh and I always discuss those things privately and make decisions together and get on the same page, but I want my teens to have the habit of going to ask dad and having these conversations with him. And that might seem passive to you, but it's been a necessary step for me to really support my husband's leadership and to help him feel the burden of responsibility that he has in our family. One time in the car, a child asked a question from the back row, and I answered the child, and then I said to Josh, hey, 
how come you don't answer when they ask questions in the car? And you know what he said? He's like, I would, but you speak so quickly, I don't even get a chance to answer. And I think that many times we can be like that with our husbands. They might have thoughts or wisdom or plans for handling a conversation or a situation with our kids or maybe even a money issue or something. And we just speak, swoop in and speak so quickly and act so quickly that they don't even have a chance to lead. So we need to slow down, ask questions of our husbands, take their feedback and do it. Not just to let them lead, but to really empower them to lead. As I make choices to submit and yield to Josh and his leadership, God has worked profoundly through the wisdom and insight that he has in our children's lives. And my husband, honestly, has embraced his leadership more and more, even in areas that I wouldn't have guessed that he would lead in. One of my favorite small groups many years ago, we were at Paige's house, and um, we were the only ones in our small group who had kids at that time. And we would just kind of sit on the stairs, and um, Elias, my youngest, you know, we went, we would stay late, so we would always lay our youngest, our baby, down in a pack-and-play upstairs. And so this night, I laid him down in the pack-and-play, and he screamed like he was dying, like something was horribly wrong. And it would not stop, and it was so stressful. And you guys know, like, when you're in public and the baby's screaming and you just can't do anything to solve it, it is so stressful. And so Josh, like, comes upstairs, and he was like, hey, I'll take care of it. You go back down to small group. So he goes in, talks to Elias, who fusses a little bit, but then he goes to sleep. And he came back down, and we enjoyed the rest of the small group. And later I said, hey, what happened? And he was like, oh, he was just scared. I could tell. I told him, hey, you're going to be all right. I'm right downstairs. When it's time to go home, I'll come and get you, and you should stop screaming. <laughs> and it was like this magical moment for me um, that... You know, I don't think anybody in the small group even noticed because nobody had kids, so it wasn't, you know, a big deal. But it was a magical moment for me and very profound because I don't think Josh would have done that with my first child or my second, maybe not even a third. But by my fourth, God had taught me some things, right? And it wasn't because of anything in Josh that he wouldn't have done that. It was because of my lack of trust in his leadership with our son and honestly, often my unwillingness to let him lead. So we need to trust our husbands. We need to believe in the authority that God has given them with our families. They will feel that responsibility and step into that more and more as we trust them. Our husbands can be very deferring to us, right? Often they want to make us happy. Or many times they think we're better than them at things, especially like with a baby, right? They can be far more insecure than we ever realize. And we have a profound responsibility to strengthen them and their leadership. Now, it's good to talk to other moms and get thoughts, but do we ask our husbands first? And do we do what they say with a yielded and trusting heart? So what is one thing you can do to better support your husband's leadership in your home? So I know some of you would say my husband doesn't lead, and I understand that is very real for many women. My first step would be step back, give him a chance to lead, see what he does. Often what we perceive as a lack of leadership is really us just not giving them a chance to lead or to disregarding their leadership as the wrong way to lead, right? It can be more of an issue of us not following than them not leading. So be a woman that's easy to lead. Makes our husband's job so much easier. If you still feel like your husband's not leading when, you've, when he's given an opportunity, then have a conversation. You know, something like, hey, when we're having dinner, it's hard for me to talk to you about my day because the kids are running around wildly and nobody's eating dinner and holding still and 
having the food that I'm serving them, right? Get his thoughts. Say, how could, how could we change that? Do you have any thoughts on this? Give some input yourself. See what he says and then do it. You've made him aware of that challenge. Give him the opportunity to lead there. If you still don't take initiative when you feel like you've had conversations, then I would encourage you, get some help. Invite a trusted leader to speak into your lives and your marriage. Josh and I have met with so many couples, as have many of our pastors and leaders have, and we all appreciate the opportunity to help people work through those marriage challenges. If you're married, your foundation for godly parenting is a godly marriage, so please ask for help. Get some outside counsel if you know things aren't where they should be in your marriage. Okay, so the compliment, I think, to following your husband's leadership is that you are your husband's helper. So way back in Genesis, God says, I will make a helper fit for him. And maybe helper doesn't sound like a very significant word, but what did Jesus call the Holy Spirit? The helper, right? And he said, it's better if I go away to send the helper. Now, our role in our husband's lives is different than the Holy Spirit's role. But I want you to know, it will take all of your strength that God has given you to be a good helper to your husband. And our husbands need help if they're going to fulfill their God-given role of leading our family. God said it was not good for a man to be alone. He needed a helper, and that's us in marriage. I want to support Josh and yield to his leadership in our family, but I come alongside him and help him lead well every single day. And the longer I am married, honestly, the more help I see that my husband actually needs or the more he's willing to say, I need help, you know. So some things that make for a good helper. I'll give you three things. First, I would say is just to communicate. A good helper or a good leader is a well-informed leader. So that means that I daily, privately discuss life with the kids, with him. I keep him informed about what's going on with the kids, what they've been doing well, that he could praise them for, what they're struggling with, what they need a discipline for. As they get older, I tell them about conversations that they tell me about, things that he could follow up with them on and give them counsel in. I give him insight into who our kids are as people so he can better love them and lead them well. We need to know our kids well and help our husbands to know them even better. We should not leave them on their own to figure it out. Talk to your husband with humility and respect, but talk to him about your kids in a way that helps them lead well. The second thing is have a plan for teaching and training your children. Not your own plan. Work with your husband on a plan, but have a plan. Ephesians 6.4 is kind of a real pinnacle passage on parenting. It says, and this one's on your handout too, it says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And that first word, training, is talking about like the structured guiding of a child's outward act. So it's directing their actions. And then when it says instruction, that word in Greek means a putting in mind. So it's referring to a child's thoughts. So this is talking about directing our children's actions and their thoughts. So how can we help our husbands do this? Now, Josh gave you guys a bunch of things to instruct your children in in his Sabermetrics talk. I'll just pick one of them. So say sabermetric number five, responds to direction to control emotions. So self-control training. As Josh said, this is like ongoing with all of our children in so many situations. But I'll give you an easy one that happens all the time, mealtime, okay? So say you have a child that gets unhappy when you give them something they don't want to eat, right? And that's just not a problem for young kids. It happens till they're old. Um, but say you decide, okay, rather than constantly appeasing my children, to have them eat what I give them, I'm actually going to train them to eat whatever I give them with a happy heart. And so first, you would have a conversation with this child. 
You tell the child what a gift and blessing it is that God gives us food for our enjoyment and for our nourishment. You encourage this child. We want to have a thankful heart towards God for all that he gives us. Share a verse about Thanksgiving. Model a heart of a Thanksgiving. That's instructing your child's heart, right? Next, you tell the child, hey, I, when I give you food, I expect you to thank me for the food, and I expect you to eat whatever I give you without complaining or asking for anything else, okay? And then you say, and if you don't, you will be disciplined. So you're going to train their actions, right? So you have a plan. So when their self, lack of self-control pops up, then we don't, you know, lose control ourselves, right? Because we have a plan. We can go to our plan. So at dinner, you put ketchup on the hot dog for your youngest child, and they're like, well, I don't like ketchup on my hot dog. Or maybe you don't have the mayonnaise, and the teenager says, I can't eat this burger without mayonnaise, right? Okay, so there it is. That's the thing. You're like, this is the thing I'm going to train my child in. So you say, hey, this is what we talked about, remember? Mom told you she wants to have a thankful heart and not just lose control of your emotions because you don't get what you want, all right? So then you discipline the child with the spanking if they're young or if they're older, you have them lose a privilege and give them some work. So maybe they, you know, clean up the whole dinner and wash the dishes and have to help make the next meal or something. So after you discipline this child, you remind the child of your previous conversation about self-control that they need to have in their thoughts, right? Instead of letting their own desires make them complain and lose emotional control. Hey, we're going to receive all things with thanksgiving. We're going to obey mom and eat what we're given. And you keep giving that practice, like Josh said, put them right back in that situation. Let them finish that hot dog. Let them eat that burger without mayonnaise. Maybe you don't buy mayonnaise for a week or two to see how that goes, if they can learn to have a thankful heart without everything that they want, right? And you keep giving them that practice over and over and over again until it becomes a habit for them to just receive your meals with Thanksgiving. Okay, the third thing. Make your home a peaceful place. 1 Corinthians 14 has been a meaningful verse to me as a mom. It's on your handout. It says, God is not a God of confusion or disorder, but a God of peace. God is a God of peace, and our home should be a place of peace. There should be an order reflected in our home that shows the glory and majesty of God. And I don't mean your house always has to be picked up and the laundry always done. That's not my daily reality. I'm sure it's not yours. But there should be an order, a rhythm, a routine in our home that displays the glory of God. And I think the key thing for having a peaceful home for you as a mom is to have a peaceful heart. We can get so caught up in all the messes around us that we forget about the mess that goes on in our own heart, right? A peaceful heart accepts the life that God has given us, receives the work of mothering with an open hand, lets go of our own personal plans and desires to walk in the Spirit each day. In Galatians 5, this one's on your handout too. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do you know if you have a peaceful heart each day? If you're walking in the Spirit, here's some things you can ask yourself. Am I acting in love, seeking the best for my children, or am I seeking my own desires? Am I joyful, or am I sullen in my attitude? Do I have a peaceful heart about how God has directed my day, or am I feeling resentful about it? <clears throat> are my words and their tone kind with my kids or are they harsh? Am I making sure my kids and I follow the ways of the Lord or am I indifferent towards their sin and my own? Am I being faithful with the responsibilities God has given me or am I disconnecting and just wasting time on my phone? Am I being gentle in my words and actions or am I rough with them? Am I exercising self-control in my own thoughts and words or do I just let my children's emotions dictate my own? 
To have a peaceful heart, we need to yield to God's spirit as moms, embrace his plans, put to death our flesh, and walk in the spirit. We need to repent to the Lord and to our kids when we're not doing that and ask God to help us walk in these things. Make your home a peaceful place. Embrace your significant role as a helper to your husband to the glory of God. So which of those three areas do you think you could grow in helping your husband more? Communication, having a plan, or making your home a peaceful place? If you have thought, just put a star by it or write, or write it down real quick to, so you can reflect on that later. Okay, last one. Radical moms know that who we are and what we are doing matters to God. So way back in the Old Testament, Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham, or Abram, as he's called in this part I'm going to read, that he was going to be the father of many nations. But that doesn't seem to be happening at this point in their lives, so I'm going to read you a story. Pay attention to Hagar, and remember this. This is a real woman, okay? Put yourself in her place as I read this to you. It's from Genesis 16. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to Sarah. So Sarai took Hagar, her servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt on her mis- with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, your servant is your, in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So this woman, Hagar, she's an Egyptian servant. She's not even in her own country, right? She did not ask for this life. She's as a servant there working for them. She's given to Abram as his wife. She gets pregnant. She gets an attitude of disrespect towards Sarah. Sarah resents this and uh, is harsh with her, and Abram doesn't defend her. So she's pretty discouraged, right? So this pregnant mom goes off into the wilderness, most likely to die. And then it says the angel of the Lord, this is verse 7, and the angel of the Lord is pre-incarnate Jesus. So Jesus found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. He said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And then she does what Jesus tells her to and goes back and submits herself to, um, to Sarai and uh, walks in what God has for her. So the name Hagar gives to God there is El-Ra'i. It literally means the God who sees me. And I love this section because I think as women, we have such a desire to be seen, to be heard, right? Like Ishmael says, to be known, to be understood. And we look for that need to be met in so many different relationships and places. And when we don't find that need being met in our homes as a mom, it is so easy for us to look elsewhere. Maybe like Hagar, we run away to the digital world, right? Where we can show a picture of what we accomplished and receive some likes from someone to help us feel known. Maybe we escape to work outside the home where our progress can feel far more quantifiable. And we can receive accolades from our boss or coworkers that make us feel seen and known. Maybe we run away to another struggling mom who will commiserate with us in that struggle to help us feel understood. But we need to know this woman. God sees you. 
He sees everything you do. He sees the thousands of little things that you do every single day that keep you so busy that you don't have a moment to think. And yet, when your husband or friend says, what did you do today? You can hardly come up with anything that seems like of any measurable importance, right? But God sees it, and he knows it, and it matters to him, and you matter to him. Everything we do in faith pleases him. It is in God's divine love that he gave us the life that he had and blessed us with these children. Being a mom isn't something to suck our lives away. God gave us this life. Our lives and our mothering matter to the God of the universe who made us. He sees our faith, and he will reward us both in this life and in eternity beyond what we can comprehend as we walk in faith with him. Women, our role as a mom is held in high regard by our Lord. Motherhood is right and good and noble and of great value to God. So let's be radical moms that believe that God sees us, knows us, and cares for us. I'll pray. God, thank you so much for a chance to talk to these women today. God, thank you for your word, your truth, your encouragement, your help, your grace, your strength, God. We just uh, lift up our hearts to you, God. We thank you for our children. God, help us to love our children by being more present in their lives. Help us to cultivate Thankful hearts for them, for the blessing that you've given us, God. Help us to believe that you and your word are all that we need, God, to rely on you as our bread, our daily bread. Help us to honor our husbands as the leader of our family. Help us to be excellent helpers, God. And help us to believe that truth, God, that who we are and what we're doing for you matters to you, God. Help us to be women that live by faith. Bless us the rest of the day, God. Be with our kids. Help them. Give them peaceful hearts. Help our minds to focus and hear from you the rest of the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.